tonight, TNT upsets the ecosystem with giant predators, shrinking habitats, and the horrifying special effects of stop-motion master Ray Harryhausen. Looking for a little green, decent quiet? <laughs> yes. Forget it. This is Monster Vision all night long. Hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of Treks in Sci-Fi, your weekly sci-fi fantasy Star Trek, and whatever else I can come up with podcast. Today is November the 2nd, 2008, and this is podcast 198. Just, uh, well, I guess counting one more podcast before 200, so is that one away or two away? I guess we're still sort of two away, I guess you could look at it, kind of counting this one (laughs) before uh, we get to 200. Um, This week, though, as you could hear at the beginning of the show... That little clip there from TNT advertising Ray Harryhausen films. That is going to be the subject for today. We will still be talking about some Star Trek. We've got some tidbits and and, uh, a little bit of an interview uh, that I found to play uh, related to the new Star Trek movie. Uh, Some other sci-fi and fantasy talk before we get into the Ray Harryhausen. Uh, Just going to have a lot of great things to say about that. I'm really looking forward to chatting about that with you. So... um, I think that's about it. Oh, I just want to say, I, I, for some reason, I feel a little nasally today. I don't know if the weather here is changing in Michigan or whatever it is. So if my voice sounds a little, you know, maybe like that, uh, I feel okay, really. But uh, it's uh, nothing major, and it's not your iPod or whatever you're listening on. So I don't think it's that bad, but I just thought I'd mention it. So, uh, hey, let's get started. Welcome to Treks and Sci-Fi, everyone. This is Rico. I'm going to talk really fast during the podcast today. How about that? Maybe we'll get done in maybe 45 minutes. What do you think? No. I can't do that. First off, it sounds dumb. And well, anyway, I just uh, wanted to say welcome to the show again. Uh, uh, I hope, uh, you know, I'd really like to get some emails, treksf at gmail.com. Uh, I know we have some very steady listeners each week, and I check the downloads out at talk to people on the forums and that but if you happen to be new or you know you've just found the podcast maybe you're getting interested in star trek again with all the trek movie talk and news coming 
uh, probably just a couple of weeks away from the first full trailer and all that. Uh, I'd love to hear from you and uh, check out the website over at treksinsci-fi.com when you get a chance. Uh, lots of good stuff over there, and uh, I think you'll enjoy what you see. Well, a few uh, just bits of kind of housekeeping and business and things like that to get away with or get away with, get <laughs> get out of the way first before we get really into the, to the heart of the show. Uh, the first thing I want to mention again is uh, we're coming up very close on Podcast 200. It's going to be a video show, and I am looking for videos of uh, from all of you doing a, a favorite Star Trek scene, you know, and you don't really have to act this out uh, you know, unless you'd like to, or I mean, it, it can be anything from as little as fire phasers, beam me up, make it so, what you know, something like that, uh, or or you can do, you know, a whole little bit of scene and, and try to do, you know, something from one of the TV shows or the movies and uh, and send that in. Whatever you'd like, I'd love to have it. Uh, I really want to make uh, podcast uh, number two hundred a lot of fun. Going to have some special, I think, little surprises for people. Um, a couple kind of in, yeah, sort of new things, I think. And, and I was going to say announcements, but I don't think that's the right word. But I, I do want to have a fun show, and I, I really think this would be great. And I'd love to hear and see all of you, you know, doing your best, you know, Kirk or Picard or Janeway or whatever impression that you'd like to do. Or it doesn't even have to be, again, an, uh, an impression. Take a take a little note and a guide from Abrams and the Trek movie where they're They've said time and time again that they're not trying to imitate the original. They're just trying to put their own little take on it. And uh, that's what I'd like to get from you for Show 200. The videos are due on f- by Friday, the 21st of November, which gives you, I guess, from now, almost three weeks left to do these. So we are going to have kind of a delay next week. I'll talk more about that later in the podcast uh, where uh, next week's show will either be no show at all or it might be something unique and a little special. But uh, we'll talk again more about that later. And then I'll have 199 podcasts the week after that, to which will be the week of, I guess, that'll come out on the the 15th, 16th, I guess. And then 200 will be on the 23rd of November. So that's the next, next few weeks' schedule. So, again, love to hear from all of you and see those videos coming in. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, again, uh, I've had some uh, recent monthly donations, and if you'd like to donate, if you enjoy the podcast, want to send in just a little you know, $5 donation or maybe do a $5 per month donation, which, you know, is just, you know, you, you stay in from, uh, you know, from school or work and, you know, you don't eat out one, one day a month for lunch. That should pretty much cover it, and I greatly appreciate that. I just paid the the yearly uh, dues for the website and hosting, and uh, it was a little bit more this year than it has been. So uh, anything that you could send in would be greatly appreciated. There are links on the forum. There are links on the main website. Uh, That's always appreciated, gang, and uh, just uh, love it when you can do that, and it really helps support the show. What's going on the latest Star Trek movie? Let's find out. Where's everything? The main theme, uh, main theme, main thing I wanted to cover with you guys on the Star Trek movie this week. Uh, I can't remember if I knew about this for last week's show, but there's this Empire UK, Empire Magazine UK edition uh, out for UK members, and I think you can pick it up at bookstores in the United States as well. 
uh, with some cool Trek images and another article just like they did for Entertainment Weekly. Uh, the thing that I wanted to really cover and play for you, though, this uh, is a website called Collider.com, kind of a cool little entertainment website. And they had an interview, which is, uh, I haven't seen a lot of these uh, lately, at least uh, audio interviews, where I can play the audio for you. Most of them have been print. But this is with Chris Pine, who is playing, of course, Captain, well, he won't be a captain, I guess, in the movie. We'll just call him uh, Kirk. (laughs) He's playing Kirk in the Trek movie coming out in May. So he has some interesting things to say. Seems like a real nice guy, very charismatic. And, well, let me just play the interview for you. It's about three minutes, I think, total, and they ask him some interesting questions, and he has some nice things to say, I think. So here you go with Chris Pine, uh, and this is from Collider.com. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. I, I mentioned Bottle Shock, which I thought you were great at. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay, well, obviously, you're in a kind of a big film next year. I, I think it's an indie by Paramount. Uh, something about Star Trek? Uh, small movie called Star Wars. It makes between Star Trek and Star Wars. So, uh, Kevin, uh, just uh, I wanted to ask, uh, Kevin Smith has seen your movie and has, and has publicly commented on yeah. it. I, I was shocked when I got the, a bunch of my friends said, hey, did you hear what Kevin Smith wrote? And uh, my mom even emailed me the, the um, you know, the article or whatever. And I, uh, through a mutual friend of ours, I got his email and emailed him and just said, Pretty just basically, thanks, dude. I mean, I couldn't ask for a better, you know, thumbs up from someone. And this, this far away from the release date to have someone saying that I did a good job, especially with all the, you know, the potential naysayers out there, was was a nice ego boost for a Wednesday, you know. Totally. I was going to say, fandom seems to really be jumping on board this film. And are you feeling that uh, as actors that people are really ready to seriously embrace this film? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure if they're going to embrace it or not, but I certainly the heat behind it I feel, and um, you know, I, I've seen I've seen posts and whatnot going both ways. People either excited about it or you know, you know, giving it the middle finger already or whatever. And I mean, it'll be what it'll be, and people will like it or they won't. I'm really proud of it. From what I've seen, I think we did a great job, and we just have to leave the rest, uh, you know, the rest of the the, the peanut gallery, I guess. You know, obviously, you filmed that a while ago. What are you working on right now? I'm working on, uh, it's called Leisure Time. It involves my couch and a remote. Say, is that rated R or is that a PG-13? It uh, can go up there to NC-17, but we'll talk about that. But uh, no, I haven't really been doing my I traveled quite a bit. Uh, I traveled with my dad. I traveled with a buddy of mine. I went to Europe. Um, Hit the Southwest states. I was just in Nevada, stumping for Barack Obama. So I've been getting my fill of real world stuff, which I've been, I've been really appreciative of. And of course, I have to ask you. I mean, it's it's a very generic question, but what was it like when you first found out you were going to be playing the role? And could you just talk a little bit about being on the set and your experiences? I think when you get an opportunity to work at something with that much money is extraordinary because you get the best of the best of the best of the best. You have the best production designers. You have, you know, the best actors working alongside you. You have one of the best directors in Hollywood today. You have uh, a costume team that is is out of control. So it's like being a kid and being given all, everything at your fingertips to, you know, when you, when I first saw The Bridge, and I, I wasn't a fan growing up, so it wasn't as sacrosanct to me as it was to many others. But it's it's you know it's um, you kind of out of an out of out of body experience. It's it's um, 
it's pretty awesome to get to do what we get, get to do. I, I so appreciate you giving me your time. Yeah, I think that was uh, real enjoyable to listen to. He seems, again, like I said, a real nice guy. If you go over to Collider.com, you can actually see that interview with him. It looks like he was at some kind of a an event or a premiere of something. And uh, I like his uh, – he seems very intelligent. I, I just I, – I don't know. There was something about his answers that they didn't come off as too snarky. And uh, it just seems like a real nice guy. And I don't know. There's always, to me, something uh, – I don't know that the actors, you know, sort of their personality kind of comes through in their performances as well. So I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing. He just seems to be the kind of an actor, kind of a guy that could fit the role of Kirk pretty well. So again, Collider.com. Thanks for that. My journey began when I met Kayla, a mysterious woman in great danger. Now, our destinies are joined to defeat an evil force. Or do I try? That was a short little preview uh, TV spot for Legend of the Seeker, which is a new fantasy series that just premiered this this weekend, I saw it last night. The first two episodes uh, showed up uh, in syndication, and uh, depending on where you live, uh, you know, check your local listings. But this is a, a series based on a, uh, a group of books by Terry Goodkind. Uh, the first uh, being, I think, the the first book is called "The Wizard's First Rule" or "The Wizard's First Rule" something. Uh, I could run over to my shelf and get it, but <laughs> that's so far away. So. Uh, Anyway, let me say, uh, I have not read the books yet, even though I do own uh, the first few of them. But this uh, this fantasy series, I was a big fan of uh, the Xena Hercules uh, shows back in, uh, I guess, the, the late 90s when those were airing. Uh, I watched them very regularly. I think I've seen all the episodes. Uh, I have the DVDs. Or do I have them all? No, I only have some of those. I guess I don't have all those. But anyway, this kind of show, I'm a big fantasy, even though we cover mostly sci-fi on the podcast in general, I'm a big fantasy fan. I've played Dungeons and Dragons, I enjoy fantasy films, Lord of the Rings, and all of that. And so I was, uh, you know, it was very exciting that we were finally going to get another fantasy-type series on television. It's been kind of uh, a while since this has happened, uh, and uh, all I can say is this is a great show. I'm really, really impressed uh, I think it's a little bit more serious in tone than Xena or Hercules. I guess Xena was a little more serious uh, a bit of the time than Hercules, but it, it's got—it's uh, not really uh, like that kind of uh, you know wink at the camera kind of corny, a little bit of uh, you know that they did on that, those shows. Although I'm not really knocking that, I understand that. But this uh, this show is uh, quite a bit more serious, I thought, but all for the good. The actors are, are great. And they, they seem to cast some people that at least I'm not very familiar with, some young, you know, fresh face kind of uh, people that you you may have seen maybe a little bit of, but not very much. Uh, the two main characters, Kaylin and this Richard Cipher character, it's the kind of the classic tale of, a, of this guy that's uh, got this destiny to overthrow throw this, uh, you know, dark, uh, evil ruler. And, and she's kind of a sorceress and uh, known as the Confessor. I'm not going to tell you too much about the story. You should definitely be watching it. If you're a fan of fantasy, check it out and find it on your uh, stations. 
or online if you if you have no other choice. I think their website is legendtheseeker.com, legendoftheseeker.com. Uh, there are several websites out there related to the, the books, and they're covering this pretty well. So uh, I'm just giving it really a big thumbs up. I, I, I really enjoyed the first two episodes a lot. I, I was actually, you know, sad that I had to wait or now have to wait a whole other week to, before there's another one. There's just something really nice about the show. And I don't mean nice like uh, it, it's uh, it's goody goody or I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, Rico, you got to wake up! Oh, there we go, third person. I knew that would come out. It's just there's just it's that undefinable kind of a thing that uh, you know some people it will appeal to and you watch it and you go, wow, I really like that, and other people will go, eh, you know, that's not for me or whatever. For me, this was something definitely the first first one where uh, it's something I, I really will enjoy each week. Uh, it's nice to watch it in uh, high definition, showing actually on the CW network in, in my area, in the Detroit, Michigan type area. So uh, you might want to check if you have a CW uh, affiliate uh, in your area. That might be the first place to look for it. Uh, and they'll probably be running it uh, multiple times. I noticed the WGN station which a lot of in the united states is is syndicated across cable and networks is also airing it as well so hopefully those are some hints if you're having trouble finding it so uh legend of the seeker great series off to a great start uh and i'm i'm gonna be watching it every week when you venture beyond the outer rim to the edges of the final frontier Starfleet has been contacted by the Draxian Corporation. They've lost contact with one of their research facilities on the Outer Rim. Unknown enemies lie in wait. We've been ordered to investigate, assess, and assist where we can. Not exactly a supply run, then. Do we know what they were involved in? Classified propulsion technology research. Now, one captain, one crew must succeed where all others have failed. Set a course for the Zylock Cluster. Maximum warp. Engage. Use caution. We'll meet back here in 15 minutes. Spread out. I think we found what's left of the crew. Looks like the bodies have been made open. Whatever happened down there is going to have to wait. We've got a ship in distress on long-range sensors. We use a freighter bubble. Trouble we are in. Help we need. Prepare for emergency transport. Bridge to sickbay. Trauma teams to the transporter rooms. The EM interference is still too high for sensors to get a clear picture. What kind of ship is that? They're coming around for another pass. Bridge to engineering. Transfer all remaining emergency power to the structural integrity and weapon systems. I'll give you all she's got, sir. Trimmings and all. Intruder alert, Captain. Helmsman, full actual rotation to port. Continual fire, all phasers. In an all-new adventure of Star Trek, the continuing mission. Coming soon to continuingmission.com. That trailer there is for uh, the next audio drama from our friends over at ContinuingMission.com. Sebastian Pruth uh, emailed me and mentioned that the third adventure of their ship is out and available for download. Uh, Just came out, I think, on Halloween. 
This is, again, the third uh, episode that they've done. They had two others, and I haven't had a chance myself to listen to it, but the trailer makes it sound very, very cool. I, I, you guys really put some great uh, production values into your audio, and uh, I'm very impressed by the uh, the shows you've done so far and looking forward to listening to this one. So everyone should go over and check out uh, uh, them at uh, continuingmission.com. I'm Charis. And this is Ona. And you're listening to Rico on Treks in Sci-Fi. Okay, it's time to get to our main topic for uh, this week's podcast. And I know there have uh, been several people on the forums and uh, that I've been talking with that have been looking forward to this, as well as I have. I've talked about them before uh, briefly on a few other podcasts, but I, I've been wanting to do a podcast dedicated to uh, Ray Harryhausen for a while now. I, I grew up... Uh, loving and watching his movies and I, I think uh for maybe some of especially the younger listeners to the podcast this may be someone that you're not as much uh, familiar with as like the george lucas's and steven spielberg's and jj abrams and those people and peter jackson and all those names as ray harryhausen might be uh as familiar to you as they are but i think it's definitely someone that you should seek out and uh, see some of his film work and uh i wanted to share some of uh you know, some tidbits and information about him with you, talk a little bit about some of the movies, uh, some of his highlights, I think, and just in general give you a feel for what this guy accomplished in uh, in the early days of Hollywood before uh, computers basically ruled the world and ruled the special effects world. Now, Ray Harryhausen was born uh, in June of 1920, uh, uh, in Los Angeles, California, his first uh, name, uh, or his name is really Ray Harryhausen, although his his first name is really Raymond. Uh, he's a tall guy, about six one, uh, and you know that to me, I'm six four. But you know, somebody born in 1920s over six foot is uh, is pretty tall. Well, not six foot when you're born, except for that Benjamin Button movie or whatever. What's up with that? Anyway, uh, diverging. Sorry. Uh, the the early days of Ray, uh, he was very uh, enamored with film and motion pictures. And when he saw King Kong, you know, in 1933, which we, he would have been about 13 at a very, you know, kind of impressionable age, he really was just in awe of how they did that, how they made Kong come alive. And Willis O'Brien, of course, doing the stop-motion photography work on King Kong, he just he just tried to discover everything he could about how that worked, and he started to kind of play around with it on his own and made, uh, you know, he would use little dinosaurs and things and make his own little footage uh, on, on old-style cameras and things. And he really got uh, involved in this when he was in the Army uh, during uh, World War II. He, he created these little Army movies, Army movies, <laughs> Basically, they, they wanted sort of training films, and he would take these little soldiers and animate them and move them around these little figures. And because of his, you know, his love for this type of special effects work and what he had learned before he got into the Army and what he learned during that time, he uh, sort of acquired uh, for himself a, a lot of unused footage of stop-motion work that he did uh, during his time in the Army. And when he got out of it... He took this around and uh, tried to get a job, and he contacted and got hooked up with Willis O'Brien, of course, who worked on Kong, and showed him some of this footage, and they hired him to work on his, uh, basically the first movie he worked on, which was Mighty Joe Young. 
this was sort of a, a King Kong, I guess, sequel, you could call it, in a way. Uh, he did uh, a lot of the work on that. Uh, Ray Harryhausen did about 85 or so percent, supposedly, of the actual animation uh, on that, even though he didn't really receive the credit he was due for that. It basically went to O'Brien. It was his movie and his, you know, he, he, you're the boss. So <laughs> when you're the boss, you get to uh, be be top dog and, and take credit for sometimes other people's work. But uh, that's the way it works sometimes. But the, the you know, Ray moved on uh, that, you know, he, he always in interviews and things. And I've got an interview that a uh, clip that I'm going to play for you here in a little bit, uh, he, he seems like a very, to do stop motion work, to sit there basically in, in a studio, basically most of the time he'd be by himself doing this work and take these little, you know, figures that they would have these metal armatures and they would have then sort of uh, uh, costumes and, and lifelike kind of material and, and fabric and hair and things over them and to painstakingly move these things just a small little bit and then, you know, shoot a frame of footage and do it again. You have to be a very level-headed, patient, you know, extremely patient guy. So I, I think uh, you, you can hear in his interviews, he's a he's very nice, very nice guy. And, and everybody that I've ever heard, anyone that's ever met him at a convention or talked about Ray Harryhausen would say that. So, uh, but the, uh, again, going back, he, uh, after Mighty Joe Young, his really big break was uh, when he was hired by Warner Brothers to work on his first major film by himself, uh, which was The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. This kind of features sort of a, a, a creature, kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, kind of uh, dinosaur-like. I think that was the one that was called the Ymir. I think that's the name of that creature. Uh, but it was in the early 50s, like came out in 1953, and the film's special effects, uh, I'm sorry, not the special effects budget, but the film, the total film budget, get this, was for this whole movie was only $200,000 for the entire movie. That's the budget for twenty uh, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. So you can imagine that in order to to do the special effects work for that film, he, he really he didn't have the chance to hire a huge crew and and do all kinds of you know fancy things they, they he had to do it himself and he had to do it very economically and uh, you know he created and, and sort of invented techniques real rear projection you know the idea of uh, rear projection on overlapping little screens to insert dinosaurs and other beasts and creatures uh into real world type settings and backgrounds and this turned out to be kind of a very big movie for for sci-fi in general of the 1950s. So it uh, it was pretty big for Ray in that uh, time. And then uh, the big thing that happened after that was he went over to Columbia and teamed up with uh, a guy, a producer, that he would end up working with uh, for basically in almost the rest of his career, uh, a guy, a gentleman named Charles Schneer who was a producer, and that team of, of Charles Schneer and Ray Harryhausen became kind of uh, the, the go-to team for sci-fi and fantasy film work, in, you know, in the 50s and the 60s especially. And this is, you know, these are the guys that did all the Sinbad movies, uh, just did, did some amazing work, uh, Jason and the Argonauts. And again, I'm going to go through these movies a little more in detail as we go through uh, his sort of filmography a little bit more. But uh, 
they are the guys and they are uh, the team that, uh, you know, kind of pushed us to the point where things like Close Encounters and Star Wars, and these are the guys also that, you know, if you ever hear old interviews, they don't mention it as much these days, but with people like uh, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, these are the guys that influence those guys to to sort of then go to the next step and push into computers and the kind of photography work that was done in the first Star Wars movie with John Dykstra. These are the guys that influenced them and inspired them to go on. So the point is, is that without the, the you know, Ray Harryhausen and his work with Charles Schneer, uh, we wouldn't have the kind of films and just the amazing things that we've seen in, in recent stuff like uh, the Lord of the Rings films and, and other big major uh, blockbusters that have been out, uh, the comic book movies. All that stuff wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be where we are today without them and without the popularity of these movies. Uh, where should we go? I think let's going to go to a clip. I want to go through these kind of in order. So let's play the, uh, mostly I've collected like the trailers for the movies. Uh, these, uh, they're not really the best trailers. They don't tell you a lot, but you should be able to get a feel for the films. The first one that I'll play for you, I was going to do a 20, mi- a 20, 20 million miles to the earth clip, but the, I don't know, the, the Ymir and, and that just didn't lend itself to, to, uh, the trailer was just kind of just a lot of music and scenes of, of women screaming and stuff like that. So running away from the creature, ah, run away. But, uh, the first one I'll play for you. This one is, uh, the seventh voyage of Sinbad. This one was out in 1958. Of course, the, uh, work, uh, they always kind of labeled his, his work in these movies. I don't know who coined a term. Maybe someone out there might know and could email me and let me know. I I'll, I'll see if I can find out before the podcast is over and slip it in. But, uh, they they called his special effects stop motion work in these movies Dinorama. Uh, sometimes they used a, a slight variation of that, but that's what they called this, and it's used sometimes in these trailers. It's mentioned, so I just wanted to say that. Uh, so here's the trailer to the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Journey to a magical time when demons and heroes battled for the golden treasures and human spoils of forgotten kingdoms. Kill. Kill him. Thrilled to the story of a legendary superhero who fights through all the torments of hell to save the woman he loves from the world's most powerful sorcerer. This is Sinbad's greatest adventure. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. She was once a beautiful princess. The sadistic magician shrinks her to the size of a tiny doll. And now, Sinbad must do the impossible to save her. He must destroy a legion of hell-spawned monsters on the death-shrouded island of Colossa. See the flashing death of the living skeleton. See the attack of the giant two-headed bird. See the dance of the cobra woman and feel her deadly slithering embrace. See the spectacular battle between the one-eyed cyclops and the fire-breathing dragon. The incredible magic of Dinorama recreates the enchanted, breathtaking adventure that could never be told before. The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. 
Yeah, that was the the seventh voyage of Sinbad again, 1958. Uh, Kerwin Matthews in that movie played Sinbad. Catherine Grant was Princess Parisia. Parisa? I don't know how you say that. There was a genie, a magician, Sokra, the Torin Thatcher played him. Uh, just some really cool stuff in there, some great creatures. Uh, one thing that Ray always uh, says in interviews and that is how he always refers to the the these creatures that he animates he never wants to he never calls them monsters he calls them creatures because he doesn't consider a lot of the these animated uh creatures evil and he thinks monsters are you know would be more like uh dracula frankenstein and and nasty and that kind of stuff but uh although the skeletons and stuff i don't know those are kind of monsters to me but uh, because he uses a lot of skeletons in the work that they they end up having in these movies i think there's some in this one in Golden Voyage, Jason the Argonauts, which I think is the next one that I'm going to talk about. Yeah, that one features Jason and the Argonauts features one of his classic fights where Jason is fighting, I think it's seven in total skeletons at the same time, which is just, you know, just think about having to animate all of that seven different little creatures and in moving them and making sure you know where you were at and just just the how do you even plot all that out you know which one goes where to make it sort of realistic and, and look uh, like a, a guy is really having to sword fight and, and battle these skeletons is just uh, just really unbelievable to me uh, without the again the aid of computers and all of that so uh, here is I think the yes the trailer to Jason and the Argonauts now, from the makers of Sinbad, Columbia Pictures presents Jason and the Argonauts. The mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Turn back, Jason! We're trapped! Sailing to the ends of the earth, battling against an incredible number of obstacles. Where will you find this miracle? I have heard there is a tree at the end of the world with a fleece of gold hanging in its branches. In search of the fabulous magic golden fleece, Jason and the Argonauts, caught in the clutches of the towering bronze giant Talos, battered by treacherous falling rocks, taming vulturous harpies, facing the dreaded seven-headed Hydra, battling the merciless army of skeletons. Jason and the Argonauts, the classic story of Jason, a man who challenged the gods. Medea, a temple dancer who betrayed a kingdom for love. The Argonauts, the mightiest band of warriors the world has ever known. Jason and the Argonauts, a classic adventure story brought to the screen through the incredible special effects magic of Dinorama. Jason and the Argonauts, the search that became a legend. Ah, Jason and the Argonauts. Probably the maybe the Quintin, quintessential. <laughs> Let's just call it the the sort of ultimate or perfect, uh, possibly uh, Ray Harryhausen film. Although I think there are some others of his I enjoy better, but this one just kind of has so many of the classic elements. I think, and in Ray, I think generally refers to it as his favorite of the films that he's worked on, for uh, you know probably a variety of reasons. This is where uh, Sinbad is, uh, I'm sorry, not Sinbad, excuse me, not Sinbad in this movie, Jason, is searching for this legendary golden fleece. Jason is played by an actor named Todd Armstrong. A few other interesting bits of uh, casting and, and information here in this movie. 
Medea uh, is uh, played by Nancy Kovac, who for the Trek fans, for the TOS Trek fans out there, Nancy Kovac also was Nona in the classic TOS episode of Private Little War. She's the one that kind of uh, seduces Captain Kirk after he's bitten by that Mugatu uh, in that episode, if you remember that one. Also in this uh, is uh, the guy named uh, Patrick Troughton. Uh, am I saying his last name? Troughton? Troughton? He plays a character named Phineas in this movie. Patrick is known, of course, to Doctor Who fans as being one of the Doctors, uh, one of the earlier Doctors in the series. So uh, he is in this movie, uh, someone named Honor Blackman, who I think is was also in the, a Bond movie. She's a, that's a Bond girl, isn't it, I think, if I remember correctly? Uh, I, yeah, in, uh, let me look it up here quick. Uh, da, 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 or am I confusing that with the Avengers? Was she in that uh, I don't know. People will call me. I'm sure all our UK listeners are going to go, Rico, come on. You guys know who this is. So uh, maybe I'll look it up as I play the last or the next clip. Uh, I kind of goofed up, too. I was trying to go in order, uh, but uh, I I already slipped past one. The first one, the other one I did, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, was 58. It came out. Uh, Jason and the Argonauts was 1963. I skipped over one that I wanted to cover which, to me, this one's a little different. Uh, it kind of slips out of the, the the Sinbad mold a little bit more. Anyway, this one is called Mysterious Island. This one was a couple of years before the uh, Jason the Argonauts movie. This one is uh, from 1961. So let me play. I've got a trailer for that. I'll cue it up here, and I will play you that. This is, again, Mysterious Island came a couple of years before Jason and the Argonauts. And in 1961... Here is the uh, trailer. Whatever you have imagined in your wildest dreams now becomes a visual reality. As Jules Verne's most fantastic adventure in space and time becomes an amazing film experience. whose great stories inspired such unusual films as Around the World in 80 Days, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Journey to the Center of the Earth, surpasses them all with Mysterious Island. Starring Michael Craig, who triggers the screen's most thrilling escape, Gary Merrill as a war correspondent, Joan Greenwood shipwrecked on the Mysterious Island. And in this story of survival, Michael Callum and Beth Rogan. Come on. What's it doing? I don't know. Seeing us in. Also starring Herbert Lom as the mysterious Captain Nemo and his fabulous submarine, the Nautilus. Aren't we able to do anything to save ourselves? Nothing that can be done. Super Dynamation, newest and greatest screen process, astonishes the eye with such scenes as the fight to the death with a prehistoric devilfish, the discovery and destruction of an underwater city, 
mysterious island, photographed on land, under the sea, and in the air. Truly a first in motion pictures. That was the trailer to Mysterious Island, as you heard. <laughs> the, it's it's funny how that that dramatic kind of voice, you know, is sort of continued in trailers even up till this day. A little more sophisticated, maybe now, but still that same like, hey, come see this, come see that, you know, and all like you've never seen it before in a way. I don't know. the The thing that I was trying to remember before with Jason and the Argonauts, Honor Blackman played Hera in that movie. She was in the Avengers, and she was in a Bond movie. She was Pussy Galore in uh, Goldfinger, which I should have remembered because it's like probably my maybe my favorite, at least of the older Bond films. I should have uh, remembered that. She was in a lot of things. She was in Doctor Who and just a ton of uh, work for Honor Blackman. So I apologize uh, my lapse there for a second or two. Uh, but back to uh, this one, Mysterious Island. This... Uh, this movie takes place, obviously, mostly on this mysterious island, and it's a little different than some of the other uh, movies in you know, the series. It's not, again, a Sinbad movie. This one features is a Jules Verne story. Features uh, You hear Captain Nemo is in it. Yeah, he's played by uh, Herbert Lom is his name, and uh, the main uh, actor in the lead is uh, the captain of the ship is Michael Craig playing him. There's a... Uh, uh, female lead, Joan Greenwood. A lot of these movies, basically, you'd have kind of a heroic type of guy, you know, a Sinbad or a captain of a ship or something, or a Jason. Uh, and they used a lot of mythological and, uh, you know, you know, things of myth and legend for the basis for these films. And then they would get into situations where they'd, you know, they fight these creatures, and then Ray would have to come in and animate all that stuff and stop motion it uh and you heard some other different variations, of, again, of Dynarama and Super Dynamation, I think is the way they called it in there, something like that. But uh, Mysterious Island, also another fun film, uh, maybe not one of my favorites of his series. But these are all, you know, they're, they're sort of a pattern to them to a degree. I think if you like one, they're all worth watching and seeking out. We've still got quite a few to cover, uh, three or four more, I think, or so. Uh, next up is, uh, this one is... Probably my earliest memory, because I think I might have even had a chance to see this in the movie theater. I can't remember exactly when I first saw this one, but uh, this is one of my earliest uh, memories of seeing a Ray Harryhausen animated film. This one is called The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. This came out in 1974. Uh, I even put this one, have it up playing on the forum right now in the little flash player. it's just, you know, for a temporary little, you know, look to, for people to get uh, familiar with these kind of movies if you've never seen one. Uh, this one uh, stars is back into the Sinbad mold. It stars John Philip Law as Sinbad and uh, Carolyn, the beautiful Carolyn Monroe as Margiana. I think that's how you say her name. Tom Baker, another Doctor Who from the past, is in this movie as well. Uh, let's play the trailer. the sorcerer of the black arts the gold helmet faceless vizier the death fight of the centaur on the griffin the six-armed goddess of evil (laughs) 
calculus. Siren on a rampage. The duel with the vanishing sorcerer. <laughs> the one eyed centaur. So again, uh, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad from 1974. Great, uh, great Ray Harryhausen movie. Some really cool work in this one. Uh, some, a lot of fun stuff and uh, some great, uh, just great action as always. And I really liked, uh, I liked John Philip Law as Sinbad in this movie. I thought he looked really good in the role and uh, did a great job. This one's kind of a little bit of a, a treasure quest, like most of these or a lot of these films are. Where they have this map and they're and they're you know they're seeking uh, the you know the treasure at the end of the 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 rainbow or at the end of the map and uh, there's a lot of shipboard action and, and things like that and in this movie as well so a lot of fun the Golden Voyage of Sinbad from 1974 and that that movie probably started you know being in the in the early 70s uh, started Ray's kind of trend or the the last movies of his career that were sort of the masterworks, in a way, of what he did. Uh, this one started that. Then the next one I'm going to talk about and play the trailer here is called Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. That is from 1977. And the last uh, one that's in this sort of series, in a way, and they're not connected, I don't mean that. I just mean in this sort of a little more modern storytelling and even improved effects and things. The next one uh, in that group, I'll just call it, is Clash of the Titans, which is probably something that a lot of people know if they don't know the older ones. Clash of the Titans from 1981. Release the Kraken! <laughs> so, uh, But let's go back. Let's play the next in the series, which was, again, from 77. Uh, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. This one is a lot of fun, and uh, it's just... It's a little different than the others, and there's some very cool new stuff in it, and I'll talk about it after I, I play the uh, trailer. Uh, I'll tell you about the, the cast a little bit more and the story in that. So anyway, here is the trailer to uh, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. These eyes peer out through time, through space, to a land beyond imagination. These are... 
the eyes of the tiger. Follow their gaze back. Back to where legends first began. Where fantasy is real and the land of the lost is rediscovered. Journey across the oceans of antiquity to the northern edge of the ancient world. As Sinbad battles with both human... From the depths of the earth, I command you, arise! ...and supernatural evil. Destroy them! Kill Sinbad! Filmed in the miracle of Dinorama. Starring Patrick Wayne, Taryn Power, Jane Seymour. From producers Charles H. Schneer and Ray Harryhausen. Come face to face with the prehistoric Trog. See the sorceress bring life to the all-powerful Minotaur. Eat with the power as only I command you. See Sinbad battle the saber-toothed tiger, guardian of the secret shrine. Join Sinbad, the greatest of all adventurers, in his biggest adventure of all. Yes, Sinbad in the Eye of the Tiger. This is another favorite of mine. This one, 1977, it came out. That date should be familiar to, uh, you know, sci-fi film fans and that. Uh, of course, this came out the same summer as the original Star Wars movie came out, and I did see this one in the movie theater. Here, let me give you the plot of this one, just so you get a little feel for these. Uh, Princess Farah refuses to marry Sinbad until Prince Kasim, her brother, is able to give his consent. However, the prince's wicked stepmother... Queen Zenobia has changed Kasim into a baboon in order to have her own son crowned as Caliph, or is the king, I guess, uh, or prince. I, I guess it'd be king. <laughs> Sinbad, his crew, the princess, and the transformed prince travel to a distant land, fighting every obstacle Zenobia places in their path to seek the advice of a legendary wise man who can possibly tell how to end the spell. So... That's the uh, overall kind of story and plot. This uh, star Patrick Wayne, John Wayne's son, as Sinbad uh, with a beard and looked very, uh, you know, Sinbad-like uh, in this movie. Princess Farah is uh, Jane Seymour, of course. Uh, everyone knows her from, you know, ever, you know, from Battlestar Galactica, uh, Somewhere in Time, and just a variety. Uh, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, you know, just Jane's had a great career and... Uh, uh, Zenobia is Margaret Whiting. Uh, Patrick Troughton is also in this movie as well. So, again, a lot of uh, people from the Doctor Who series showing up in these films. Uh, just this is a lot of fun, this movie. I really like this one quite a bit, too. Uh, and you see this saber-toothed tiger animated, and there's this fight uh, that it has. It's just so well done, and uh, he just does such a great job with uh, all of these films. Uh, Ray Harryhausen, just an amazing guy, and... Uh, we're kind of winding this down. I've got a couple things left. I want to cover uh, the next one, uh, which is from uh, 1981. 
Saw this in the theaters as well, Clash of the Titans. Here's the trailer for that one. In an ancient age, before recorded time, men were measured by their courage and women by their beauty. Mighty gods ruled the universe and fear and destruction covered the world. It was a time of darkness when only the force of love could bring back the light. Now, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents Clash of the Titans. A sweeping legend of a golden age. Soon, the motion picture epic of our time. Enter into the wondrous world of Perseus and Andromeda. A world of passion and power, beauty and bravery, mystery and magic. A world that transcends fantasy and leaps into legend. One courageous man rides between an angry heaven and the fury of hell on earth. He rides a winged stallion across the sky. He rides to save the one who owns his heart. He rides towards wonders no man has ever seen and terrors no man has ever faced. Clash of the Titans, starring Laurence Olivier, Maggie Smith, Ursula Andress, Burgess Meredith, Claire Bloom, and introducing Harry Hamlin as Perseus and Judy Bowker as Andromeda. It will touch you, shock you, dazzle your senses, and sweep you to the limits of your imagination. Clash of the Titans. Clash of the Titans, probably the you know uh, ultimate maybe of the Ray Harryhausen films uh, from 1981. Lawrence Olivier, I mean Lawrence Olivier is Zeus in this movie. Claire Bloom is Hera, Maggie Smith is in it. Uh, Ursula Andress is Aphrodite. Uh, we've got Harry Hamlin, early young Harry Hamlin as Perseus, the hero. Uh, Judy Boker, Bowker, I think is how you say her name. Uh, Andromeda, Burgess Meredith, uh, it's just, this, there's just so many people, so much talent, uh, and just greatness in this movie. It's just amazing. And it's just a lot of fun. There's, uh, lots of cool creatures, the Medusa, you know, there's the little Bubo, the little owl, the little mechanical owl that, that tags along with, uh, with Perseus on his adventure. It's, it's just so great. They've got Perse or, uh, not Perseus, uh, Pegasus, excuse me, there's Perseus, and he captures Pegasus, the flying horse. We've got Perseus and Pegasus. It's just got so many, there's some witches, it's just got so much good stuff in this movie. It's well worth it, and I really wish they'd come out with a, a new, more ex you know, elaborate DVD edition of this film. It's definitely deserving of it with a lot more look into it and uh, behind-the-scenes footage if it's around or, you know, just just it it really needs to be done i'd love to see a blu-ray version too i don't think that's out even though i don't have a blu-ray player but uh, i would like to see them just give this one a little more um, more of a look so uh, that those are mostly the films i've covered oh i wanted to say one other thing i haven't talked and I kind of have avoided it because again the podcast could just be you know infinite in length I, I, I could go on and on but i haven't talked a lot about the music in these movies they really have some amazing and great uh, music and i'd love to hear from some of the musical uh experts out there that listen to the show and have contributed before you guys if you want to do a little kind of follow-up to this and i'll slip it into upcoming podcasts about the music uh they did use bernard bernard herman did a lot of the earlier work uh this um is the Clash of the Titans movie that I just covered is Lawrence Rosenthal. He does that very nice kind of, uh, 
A very 80s, early 80s kind of fantasy kind of motif of music. Uh, I think he worked on the animated Lord of the Rings. I think Lawrence Rosenthal was working, worked on that as well. So just some great music for these great movies by uh, Ray Harryhausen and, and others. And But, you know, he, he is the focus and doing the, the stop-motion animation for all these films is just in, incredible. I've got uh, one other, or a couple other things to play for you. The first thing I want to play here, this is an interview. It's about five or so minutes long. I found it on YouTube, and I thought it was kind of nice. I wanted to find something where Ray's kind of talking about he's being interviewed and talking about his work. And uh, I will, uh, I, they, during the interview, they, they kind of cut out the people asking the questions. It's just him talking. So I'm going to try to slide in, and they, they put words up showing what the questions are. And I will slide in and kind of ask those or say what the questions were that he responds to. So here's Ray Harryhausen talking about uh, several uh, things uh, throughout uh, and during his uh, long career with uh, working in effects and stop motion animation. Okay, here we go. This is the uh, first question on the unique characters in his 1950s films. Well, one, I don't analyze it in that way. I leave it to other people on the outside. You can analyze it. They wrote a book called Girl in the Hairy Paw, which tried to portray King Kong in many psychological different phases. And uh, uh, you can read anything. It's like an ink blot. I think a film is like an ink blot. It tells you more about the person who's watching it than it does about the film itself. Marion Cooper always says that uh, he just set out to make a, a damn good piece of entertainment. And that's what we set out, to entertain the public in a positive way. And I'm uh, grateful that we have, when I go to these various conventions uh, that I tried to illustrate in the book, uh, a family of three generations will come up for signature on their stills or what have you and say that they, our films made their childhood. Because Charles and I were the only producing company that made uh pictures of that nature i don't think can't think of any other one that did some people tried to copy it afterward and then of course uh, we destroyed washington we destroyed uh coney island i destroyed rome made new ruins among the old and uh it got tiresome so i wanted to hop onto a, a new idea in which to use stop motion photography and of course, Sinbad legend came to mind, and uh, that uh, we developed three Sinbad pictures. And the next step, of course, was Greek mythology, because when I grew up, we had Maria Montez and John Hall and Sabu making Arabian night stories. They would talk about the Cyclops, they would talk about the rock, but you never saw it on the screen. So I wanted to put the storybook concept on the screen. And I think we succeeded in doing that. On his favorite film, Jason. I think the, the most Argonauts. complete, when you're making low-budget pictures, you always have to compromise. And uh, unfortunately, we had to compromise on many of our projects. But I think Jason is the most complete. Well, I think it it, uh, it tells what we wanted to tell on, in, uh, in a very reliable way. They're even using the film in schools now to teach Greek mythology even though we had to modify Greek mythology in order to make a palatable film. On the skeleton fight in Jason. It was one of the most complicated. It took the most time. 
one tries to avoid time-consuming shots like dollying and moving the camera uh, because uh, we were making pictures on a low budget and every uh, minute counts so and every ounce of dollar counts and we tried to put that on the screen and i think we succeeded about his favorite character the others get jealous if i uh, <laughs> have a favorite character i like the complicated ones i like the hydra the skeletons seven skeletons fighting three men they're a challenge I like Medusa. I think that's one of the highlights. Uh, I still find a, a soft spot in my heart for the first scenes I did in uh, Mighty Joe Young of, the, of Joe pushing over the lion's cage. I think that's one of uh, the highlights of my career. Well, it all worked out the way I had imagined it. I did it all in three days uh, as a, a complete sequence. And then it was film edited by the, the editor, the film editor, into cutting close-ups of the live actors in. But the, the original scene was all shot in three days as one unit. The stop-motion lion that leaped out of the cage, that was the only time the stop-motion lion was used, outside of in the nightclub when they jumped on Joe's back. Obi was setting up the next shot and getting it prepared so that we could keep a continuity. But I did most of the shots, and we had uh, Buzz Gibson came back with his brother, and uh, he stayed for about five weeks, I suppose. But we never used any of the, they never used any of his film. I don't know what he complained the models were too small, but uh, I, we did that for a reason. On the Ymir character in Twenty Million Miles to Earth. He wasn't a vicious creature, and we tried to get sympathy for our, our uh, demonic characters that uh, people are not too familiar with. But uh, we, in order to get sympathy for him, he was a misplaced person. That's why I like to call him creatures and not monsters. What else could you do? In Rome, he had to get on top of the Colosseum. In New York, he had to get on top of the uh, Empire State Building. Yeah, so there's a little bit of Ray talking about some of his highlights and things that he uh, enjoyed over the years working on, uh, you know, stop motion and and just what he thinks about, uh, you know, just the you know the mythology of it all. And I, I thought that was kind of an interesting part in there. They have, uh, I'm going to put some links uh, related to Ray in the podcast notes. There are a lot of good resource materials out there. Obviously, besides just watching the movies themselves and. I, I also want to say I didn't obviously cover every film that he worked on. There, you know, the, again, the, it's just impossible to do that. I tried to cover the ones, the highlights I thought of, uh, and the, the ones I've really. He worked on one million years, one million years BC, that Raquel Welch dinosaur kind of movie. Just a ton of stuff. You can look over at IMDb to see a whole listing of all the films he worked on. But uh, I, I tried to pick out the highlights. Uh, but again, there, there are resources. He has there are some interviews on DVDs that are out of his uh, that uh, you can look about uh, look up on uh, Amazon or Netflix. There are also several really good books uh, with reference materials of how he actually did this work, this stop motion work. I will try to put some links to those also in the podcast notes for the week. Uh, there's a really good one off of Amazon. I think it's around thirty dollars hardcover that he. Uh, actually wrote the book, and uh, it's got some great information on it. I'll, I'll definitely try to link that one up for all of you and to, uh, to just kind of uh, get a little more feel and appreciation for a guy that uh, 
really set the stage and made a lot of the the great fantasy and sci-fi that we love and enjoy today possible and it's just something that you you know you shouldn't forget about and uh you know this is a very important uh contributor to film history so i just wanted to uh spend uh, at least the podcast talking about ray and his work I, i've got uh, one last thing to play related to this this is from meds our, our buddy over in the uk i know he's a big fan of uh, ray's work and he sent in a little audio uh clip uh and uh these are his thoughts about ray harryhausen hi vico and fellow checks in sci-fi podcast listeners this is meds from the forums Vico, thank you so much for dedicating a podcast to the great Ray Harryhausen. His animation in such classic films as Jason and the Argonauts and the Sinbad films threw a young me into a brilliant fantasy world. I will never forget seeing the Cyclops in the seventh voyage of Sinbad and will of course now the legendary skeleton fight scene in Jason and the Argonauts. As a young boy, I tried to recreate the skeleton fight scene by using my action man figures and taking photos of them and creating a Flickr book. I have to add that this looked rubbish, but I was inspired, and inspiration must be the best form of flattery. When you look at the filmmakers who class Ray as a big influence, you are inundated with talent. The likes of Sam Raimi, Nick Park, Tim Burton, George I Need More Money Lucas and Steven Spielberg are to name a few. My favourite director of the modern age is Peter Jackson, and he always name-drops Ray as a big influence in his films, especially his early ones such as Bad Taste and Brain Dead. It is interesting to note, of course, that Ray Harryhausen was inspired by the innovative model animator Willis O'Brien, who did the original King Kong, a film in which Peter was to go on and remake. Rico, thank you for doing this podcast. I now feel the urge to go and dress up as Sinbad and go looking for Cyclops. Cheerio. Well, thanks, Meds. I appreciate your uh, commentary there, and I, I know there are a few other people on the forums that were talking about Ray and really looking forward to this, and I, I hope they've enjoy or enjoy what I covered and uh, what you had to say as well. And uh, like you said, it's it's great that, that film history, and I think this is true with all kinds of you know things that influence people and, and just, you know, not just the entertainment world, but lots of... Uh, areas you know what you end up doing for your career to a degree and all that everyone kind of is influenced by other people and you know willis o'brien influenced ray harryhausen and then ray going on to influence some of the modern filmmakers like peter jackson that you mentioned it's just nice to see that and to see how these guys get into this and that they're passionate about it and were you know they kind of grew up with it and you know were inspired by things that they saw and you know even for me personally you know doing this this podcast and you know I was inspired you know of course growing up watching Star Trek and and a lot of a lot of sci-fi and fantasy films and reading books and just you know all of that kind of brought me to the point that I'm you know trying to give back and and share and and that kind of thing and comment on stuff so Anyway, everyone go over to Netflix or wherever you're renting your DVDs or buy them. Go over to Best Buy or Amazon and uh, check out some Ray Harryhausen. You know, you can get collections on DVD now. You know, you get a few of his movies all packaged together for a great price. And they're well worth watching. Lots of fun. And the nice thing about these movies to me is that it's just the kind of entertainment you can watch with your kids. If you've got kids, you know, you don't have to worry about things being, you know, too nasty or scary or anything like that. I mean, there are some scary moments in them, but it's, you know, it's 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 good entertainment, like Ray said, said in his, enter- in, in, <laughs> ah, winding down here in his interview. So uh, check it out. 
on the uh, I'm going to just segue right over to collectible talk. I'm not going to talk specifically. I don't have. I've been trying very hard. Gentle Giant, uh, the collectible company uh, that has put out some nice. They put out a, a group of three Clash of the Titans figures a few years ago, and I'm kicking myself still now that I didn't pick them up. They came out uh, maybe four or five years ago. They were. 35-ish each, $35 or so, uh, and uh, I, I really wish I would have picked them up. There's a company, though, called Collect, Col- excuse me, a collectible place that did uh, a whole little series of small cold cast figures uh, called Columbia Heritage for Ray Harryhausen. I have a couple of them, and I'll try to get some photographs up soon, uh, if not in the podcast notes, just check the collection gallery. But I'm looking, I've got one in my hand actually right now. It's a little skeleton piece that was uh, from the Jason and the Argonauts uh, story. And they did a group of these. I I picked this out probably, oh, maybe more than 10 years ago. And it's still in the package. It's called Skeleton A. He's about uh, maybe about three or four, maybe about three inches tall with a shield and and a sword in here. It's a neat little piece. They did a whole group of these. And you can look on eBay, uh, you know, just search for uh, uh, Ray Harryhausen figures or something like that, and you'll find some stuff or just search the Internet in general. Uh, Gentle Giant is also doing a series of mini busts, three of them uh, that I think that are out even maybe right now. You can find them on eBay from Clash of the Titans as well. So they're definitely, and there's a lot of model kits. Uh, there's definitely a lot of stuff from Ray's work out there, and there's some model kits as well from uh uh, the various movies and films, things that he worked on. So uh, lots of Ray collectibles out there that you can find and uh, play with or try to make your own little stop-motion uh, movies. Uh, I'm going to take a very short uh, little interlude break here, and I'll be back and wrap up the show. Do you love music? Have you found yourself saying this? You know, popular music just doesn't have enough Star Trek or sci-fi references. Well, you're in good company, and you're in luck, because now you can have your great music and geeky references all with my new Star Trek and sci-fi parody music page. Yep, that's right. I was tired of waiting around for my favorite artists to write Star Trek songs, so I borrowed their music and I made it myself, and now you can enjoy it for free. Check out hits like Another One Becomes Us or Life is Just a Holodeck. Ship in a bottle and humans playing Dom Jot. That's just a few. Head over to www.christrocks.com slash parody and treat yourself to a plethora of Star Trek and sci fi MP3s. Inspired by Rick Dosty's Treks and Sci Fi podcast, I have a whole page dedicated to music that every geek will love. So log on today and head to www.christrocks.com slash parody. You won't be sorry. Rock on, fellow geeks. Yeah, definitely check out Rick's uh, parody music. Uh, always uh, fun to listen to, and uh, I think just about everything that he's ever submitted for the show is up there on his webpage. So check that out. Uh, a couple last bits of information and news, and I do have a clip, uh, one more clip to play at the end here that I'm going to sort of take the show out with. Um, uh, just uh, again, next week we may actually not have a podcast. Uh, it's actually my birthday next weekend, so I, I decided to kind of take a little week off. But uh, we may have a sort of a special guest thing pop out that I might uh, put up uh, sometime 
uh, next weekend, maybe Saturday or Sunday or something like that. So, uh, you know, check your feeds, and I'll announce it on the website and the forums, too, if that happens. No um, guarantee yet, but it's possible. So, uh, But if that does or doesn't happen, I will be back in two weeks myself doing a uh, look at uh, uh, a Voyager episode. This will be for weekend, I guess it'll be the... Let's see, do, 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 carry the one, do, do. yeah. Uh, this will be for the weekend of November 16th, that Sunday. It will be Voyager's episode, Bride of Chaotica. I thought that'd be kind of a fun episode to look at. So that it will be coming up in two weeks on the podcast. Uh, and I think that's just about it. Remember to do the videos for show 200. Uh, I'd love to see what you have could come up with for that uh november 21st again is the deadline for those we've got one clip here i want to play uh i just got this on email this is from vartok and he's got a uh it's about five or so minutes give or take five or six minutes he has a movie review for uh the brother from another planet uh so i thought i would just slip that at the end of the show here uh so that uh you've got coming up and that's about it so listen to uh vartok and then the show will be over and you can get a back to whatever you were doing before you started listening or maybe you listen while you do things too i don't know whatever or driving or jogging or wherever you listen to treks and sci-fi uh, i always appreciate uh you doing so <laughs> all right anyway i'm out of here uh listen to vartok and i will talk to you all again in about two weeks see you then bye bye Hi, this is Vartok again, with another Treks and Sci-Fi movie review. As sci-fi fans, we're always looking ahead to the next big science fiction television series or movie. A case in point would be the excitement building in most of us now toward the upcoming release of the next Star Trek movie by J.J. Abrams. But how about looking to the past for an overlooked gem that might be worth seeing? Yes, there are all those campy sci-fi movies from the 50s and 60s about giant spiders, Godzillas, and beasts from 20,000 Leagues. But how about something in between? Well, that was my feeling about a movie whose name had crossed my path on a couple of occasions. Like Admiral Rico, I have a subscription to Netflix. The rental service was over 100,000 titles in their collection. There's a certain beauty about Netflix in that if you watch a movie, and it wasn't the greatest, well, simply send it back, and within two days, you have the next item from your movie queue. Recently, I decided it was finally time to see the 1984 film, The Brother from Another Planet. The Brother, the Brother from, from Another, another planet. planet. Directed and written by independent filmmaker John Sayles. John is a creative individual who has taken on many roles, Checking out John on IMDb, I found out he has written screenplays, acted, directed, edited, and produced. Some of the movies you might be familiar with that John has been involved in include Piranha, Alligator, Lone Star, Passion Fish, The Howling, Apollo 13, The Fugitive, Mimic, Eight Men Out, and others. Even now, Steven Spielberg has commissioned sales to write the script for the forthcoming Jurassic Park 4. 
Now, The Brother Who Fell to Earth is a rather odd movie, but I felt compelled to keep watching it as it played. It is always refreshing to watch a movie where you can't figure out in advance what's going to happen next, and that was the hook that kept me watching. It seems so much anymore that Hollywood scripts are so predictable. The Brothers played marvelously by actor Joe Morton, who has had a wonderful acting career and whose credits in the IMDb is currently 106 entries long. More recently, you would recognize Joe as the inventor-scientist Henry Deacon in the Eureka series. He also played Miles Dyson, the computer scientist in Terminator 2, Judgment Day. The movie, filmed in New York, starts with the brother, an escaped slave from another planet, crash-landing his tiny spaceship off Ellis Island. And there he takes the ferry to New York City and finds himself in Harlem. The only two things that separate this alien from us humans are his three-toed feet and the fact that he doesn't speak. As a result, everyone he meets has to make their own assumptions about what he's doing or where he fits in. Because of his dark skin, everyone who meets him assumes that he's African-American, and hence he becomes known as the Brother. Since the brother is mute, Joe Morton can only use his wonderful facial expressions and body language to communicate answers to all of the questions asked of him as he interacts with the varied inhabitants in Harlem. In the beginning, our brother is full of fear and puzzlement about Earthlings, especially in 1980s Harlem. So many of the goofy cultural things we humans do become caricatures when seen from our current timeline. Here is what I mean. You can almost imagine what it would be like yourself if you were picked up and dropped into another culture very different from your own, and where you have to survive using only your wits. How would you fit in? Fortunately, the brother is very smart and quickly learns to understand human speech. Those who try to take advantage of him find out he is not easily duped, and they even become fond of him. He figures out how to survive and fit into a society alien to him. Before long, two slave hunters arrive on Earth to capture and return the brother to their planet. These two comic relief slave hunters, dressed all in black, can speak English, although their lines will crack you up. For example, while in a Harlem bar asking if anyone has seen the brother, they are told to sit down and order drinks. After complying, they order a beer on the rocks. Later you might also laugh out loud when you hear them speak in their own language and see how they run after the brother with their arms hanging at their sides in a chase scene. I won't give much more of the movie away since you might decide to rent it on your own. And so what is the message John Sayles is passing on to us in this unusual sci-fi film? Well, without being overbearing or didactic, it seems to be a movie about the wrongs of racism and classism that every human ought to be considered with some kind of respect and dignity. The Brother is one hour and 48 minutes long and rated R for a few scenes involving nudity and language. Do I recommend it? Well, certainly not in my top ten. But if you count yourself as a true sci-fi aficionado, you might want to fill out your dance card with this early John Sayles masterpiece. And now back to you, Rico. Want to contribute to the weekly podcast with audio comments? Send them in to treksf 
at gmail.com or visit www.treksandsci-fi.com. Treks and Sci-Fi with Rico Dusty. 